Welcome to Cream, Eggs and Jam. A podcast for food nerds with show and tell by Elise Bullbrook and Scott Bagnell. We love to cook with cream, eggs and jam and learn from food people who give a damn. So join us each week for thoughts, tips and tricks with guests, recipes and more in the mix. Scotty, we are more than halfway through our podcast season. Amazing. How many episodes are we actually (laughs) doing for this season? I don't think I've been keeping track. I anticipated that we'd do 12. 12, yeah. So if we were doing 12, we're over halfway, yeah. (laughs) Maybe we should do 13 and it's like a baker's dozen. Oh, everyone loves the baker's dozen. That's the donut that goes missing before you get home. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hello, I'm Elise Fulbrook and I'm coming to you today from Wurundjeri country. And I'm Scott Bagnall and I'm coming to you from Yagara country and we'd like to start this week by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Mm-hmm. Scotty, today we are talking cheese. <laughs> Hello, gooey, delicious, golden cheese. Mm-hmm. Now, excited. if you listened to the episode, um, I think it was episode five, uh, that we produced the week after my 30th birthday, you would know that Scotty and I spent quite a lot of time at a shop called Ripe. It's at the mm-hmm. Queen Victoria Market and we were there for way too long, tasting way too many cheeses. <laughs> and then, you know, I definitely burst the budget buying whole wheels because I love big mm. pieces of cheese. I just want to sink my face into them. <laughs> So later in today's episode, we will be interviewing the lovely Hakim, who is the founder and owner of Ripe. I can't wait to talk to Hakim. He is a cheese nerd. Um, He's Mm. on our level of nerdiness and he's going to give us some great tips and tricks for storing cheese, eating cheese, devouring cheese, cooking with cheese, all of the cheese. And I can't Mm. wait. I'm hungry for cheese right now. I just want a glass of red wine or mm. really nice herbal tea with honey. Yes. Mm. A sage and mint tea with honey goes very well with cheese. I'll tell you that one. No, I need <laughs> wine. Always wine. <laughs> a nice vermouth, oh. I think. Uh, oh. it's a, bit, a bit cool in Brisbane today, so a nice vermouth, something a bit herbaceous, a creamy brie, some ginger nut oh. biscuits. <laughs> Hello. Oh. How about that cheese, the extravagant that we bought? Oh, my yeah. gosh. I think that's one of my favourite all-time cheeses that I've ever had and mm. I want it again in my fridge immediately. I just keep thinking about going back to the Queen Vic Market to get more of it. It's this – it's it's creamier than any creamy cheese you've ever had. Think French um, Delice, like you know, level. Daffinoise, but like mm. next level Daffinoise. And Australian which is also a big, big, big plus. We need to be celebrating Australian cheesemakers and that's what we intend to do in this episode. And we're talking to Burke Brandon from Prom Country Cheese, a cheesemaker from Gibsland in Victoria. That is going to be amazing. I can't wait to ask him some questions on all of the complexities of making cheese. 
Cheese. Isn't it a great word? Cheese. Such a good word. Cheese. Say it ten times. Just hear how weird it does sound when you say it a few times. Cheese. 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 Why do they say cheese when you're like having a photograph? It shows your teeth. Cheese. Now, Scotty, before we delve into ooey gooey cheese. Yes. What was the um, the challenge on MasterChef on Sunday night that uh, saw um, one of the favourites, Harry, eliminated? You you mean you didn't watch it? Oh that's, look, I just watched the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's so on brand. That's so on brand. If you listen to this podcast, you know that Scotty has to update me about what happens on MasterChef because I can't watch it anymore. A certain experience in 2021 it. has uh, traumatised me for the rest of my life. <laughs> anyway, I what think, happens, Scotty? Um, I think I'd be traumatised if I was in this episode, that's for sure, because oh. Marco Pierre White was in the room and oh he God. has this presence, doesn't he? I think um, I'm a bit sad that all of these amazing chefs are walking through the door and uh, we lacked a lot of um, real um, real life chefs in the room with us oh, during real life anxiety. No, no, no. It was all anxiety provoking regardless. Oh, no. Yes. But Marco mm. Pierre White, like he has to be like the number one chef in the world, isn't he? Like, yeah, something really. like that. Mm. Oh, He's you know what there. I thought was interesting? Around this time last year, there was an article about Jock mm. um, and there was a quote by Marco Pierre White that was, not in favour of Jock oh. um, in this particular article. And it, it did the rounds and I assumed that Marco Pierre White would never appear alongside Jock ever on MasterChef. Wow. And lo and behold, he has this week. So there seems to be a bit of a juicy story in that. Yes, Just and we don't that have the there. details. But of course not. <laughs> <laughs> if you have the details, let us know. Maybe we can talk about that next next episode. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. However. Um, so the yes, challenge. Marco. What did he Marco do Marco Pierre White. It was his pantry staples. So right. they had to hero at least two of his pantry staples in a dish. They had access to the, the garden and the pantry. So, like, it wasn't that difficult a challenge, I thought. But it got me thinking, like, his pantry staples were, you know, fairly basic. There was, like, tomato sauce and vinegar and capers, anchovies, those sorts mm. of things. But it got me thinking what my, like, top five pantry staples are. And I would like to ask you... What's in mm. your pantry? What are your top five? Can you narrow it down to five? I'm going to struggle to narrow uh, it down to five. Well, yeah. I mean, I need to really think about what my favourite items are because I, I share my pantry with Adam and there are things in there that I need to make sure I purchase for his own mental health. Like um, <laughs> <laughs> like a chilli sauces, for example, that mm. I don't make from scratch. Um, I have my own homemade fermented chili sauce in the fridge. Um, but there are a range of hot sauces and um, like Asian chili oils as well mm -hmm. that um, I enjoy, but Adam is the one that has them almost daily with a bit of rice or an egg or something like that. Um, so that's in the pantry for the um, well-being of my partner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I suppose like it. that's an answer. <laughs> um, of course, extra virgin olive oil. Mm -hmm. And a really, okay, 
these are two different essential pantry items. One yes. is a very, very um, murky, fresh, cold-pressed olive oil that's, um, you know, recently pressed. Mm-hmm. And that one there is not for cooking with. That one is for dipping bread into. Yes, yum. And I also would have a cheaper um, extra virgin olive oil that I would cook with. I cook with extra virgin olive oil. My family does. We always have. Um, And I'd have, um, yeah, also a light olive oil, but I hardly use the light olive oil. So in terms of essential, I would say two grades of extra virgin olive oil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like Um, it. Another pantry staple, lentils. Oh, lentils, yes. Lentils are essential because they lend themselves to a, a quick soup um, using some beautiful things from my garden or uh, they lend themselves to a beautiful um, Sri Lankan spiced lentil dish that mm. I can make quite easily with other essential pantry items such as my um, my Lord and Lion Sri Lankan spice box. Oh, yeah. Um that's probably essential now. I love having it. I take it mm. with me when I go places. <laughs> um, and you never know what you'll need when you go away. So if you just take a whole box of spices, you might um, surprise yourself with, um, yeah, how actually useful it is. Um, it so is that? good. We used, we used your box at your birthday for making some um, potato cakes. That's right. We made we made cutlets. We made cutlets. potato and crab cutlets for breakfast, and yes. we spiced them with some turmeric mustard, a little bit of a roasted curry mm. powder. Um, so cutlets are like a patty, and we use leftover mashed potato, um, beautiful picked crab meat. Um, I think we had some celery leaves. It was a matter of using what we had to make mm. this. We had some chili and also red onion that we chopped up. We crumbed it all in some some sourdough bread butts that we blitzed into a nice a crummy mixture with the food processor that was that at the accommodation. That was so good. It was really brown yeah. and nutty and it really made a beautiful crumb on the outside, didn't it? Yes, sourdough crumbs are the best. They mm-hmm. really are. Did I say five? Is that five now? Because there were two olive oil entries, chili oil. Um the lentils. spice box and spice lentils. Box. That's fine. You're done. Yeah. yeah. I'm done. They're my essentials. <laughs> well done. Thank oh, you. Oh, gosh. I don't mm. know what End mine yourself. would be. Mine mine mm. are going to be really hard. I've, I've, and they're probably like very strange, <laughs> like not going together. My, na- my mm. mon- number one thing that I always like to have is – like a tomato-based something. It's either a pastata or a tin of tomatoes because I can do a lot yeah. of things with that. Um, coconut milk, mm. it's random, but I always I have anxiety if I don't have any coconut milk in the cupboard because <gasps> yeah. I make lots of like curries and um, stir fries and like Thai dishes with coconut yeah. milk and sweets. And uh, so, how many tins do you need to have in your pantry so that you've got coconut milk security? That's what that's, this is a leading question. <laughs> well, mm. quite often I have. I need to have two coconut milk, two coconut cream. Okay, I'm about to change your life. What? You need to buy Maggie coconut milk powder. <gasps> 
One, so this what? is what all the Sri Lankan aunties, what's what my nana used. What? And you can, the amount of coconut milk powder that you use can change the viscosity of whatever you're making. And you can, oh. it could be coconut cream if you want it to be. It can be coconut milk if you want no. it to be. So if you're not making your own fresh coconut milk with a coconut, this is the next best thing before tins and cans. Wow. Mm-hmm. If you can't find it in Brisbane, <gasps> let me know and I'll ship you some from Melbourne. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. Coconut milk powder. Mm, okay, I love this. Yeah. And okay. I use a bag maybe every three to six months. Oh, wow. How big is the bag? It, it saves so much pantry space. Um, It's like, I can't tell you the grands. I have no idea, but I buy the big one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I buy whatever the biggest bag is when, when, I can, when I can get it. Top tip. That is so good because it takes up yeah. so much space in the pantry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so coconut milk, tomato tins, let's say tin tomatoes, um, pasta, like just a dried yes. spaghetti because I can do anything with spaghetti. Like I think for me pantry staples are stuff that if I've forgotten to go to the shops and I need to whip something up quickly, I've got mm. a base of something. So pasta is really good, um, probably a rice and... Oh, like oil, yes. I My two oils are just a really good quality olive oil and peanut oil. Mm. They're the oh, two. Wow. They're, they're the main two yeah. that I cook with. I really like peanut oil mm. for like stir frying and cooking and um, frying. It gives a really nice nutty flavour. Yeah. And um, I just like, yeah, the flavour it imparts. Yeah. I haven't visited your pantry yet. You've visited mine so you know how hectic oh, it yeah. is. Oh, <laughs> I'm imagining is- yours is... Mine is, I've only got this tiny kitchen and it's a wall. You literally open the pantry door up and everything is chocked to the brim. It's just like this flat wall of pantry. It's an absolute nightmare. Oh, no. (laughs) I definitely need to sort it out. Designing Mm -hmm. the kitchen is high on the to-do list. Yes. Oh, I went into the best pantry in the world last week. Oh, <gasps> what? Okay. I'm, I'm currently writing a cookbook, if you don't know. Um, Scotty yes. knows, but li- listener, if you don't know. <laughs> and I'm, I am featuring people who love food in and around the suburb that I've grown up in and still mm-hmm. live in. And during the day, I'll visit, you know, anywhere between two to six households and collect recipes. Last Friday, I met a couple who I want to adopt me. They had um, like a candelabra made of teacups hanging from their ceiling oh, you in their sent lounge me the room. Photo of this. I love this couple so much. They <laughs> they destroyed a wall, the joining wall between a bedroom and their kitchen to extend their pantry. Oh yeah. And this house didn't have a walk-in pantry, but they made one. And the bedroom has become a little like a day nook where you could have like, you know, a little rest in the middle of the day. It's a very, very, very small bedroom now that they have a walk-in pantry (laughs) and it is so well organised. They have all of their pans and pots hanging on the wall like Julia Child style, if you've oh, seen yes. any kind of documentaries about Julia Child's, um, how she would hang her pans on the wall for ease and convenience, this was that. And their lighting in the pantry was fairy lights. Oh, oh my gosh, I love that. Yes. That is so good. Oh, Every wow. Every day is magical. Every day is magical. Why not have fun? Like, you know, in in the house that you live in, have fun. 
Like, mm. make it you. You don't need to impress people. I always sort of think that, you know, the, the place that you live should reflect your personality and you should have fun. Break rules. Do what you want. Do something outrageous. It doesn't matter. A lot of things you can change really easily. You know, some fairy lights, yeah. some colour on the wall. No one's going to yes. get hurt. <laughs> no. Oh, anyway, they just filled me with so much joy. Adam won't let me install teacups as lights in our house. I've already discussed it. <laughs> I'll talk to him. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. I've got the name of the electrician, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> and, of course, I've got all the teacups. But anyway. Oh, my gosh. Oh, dear. I think it's time to jump into our chat with Hakim. What do you think, Scotty? It's cheese time. I'm ready. It's cheese time. <laughs> Woohoo. Hakim, what made you become a cheese nerd? What made me become a cheese nerd? So um, how far do you want to go back? <laughs> at, at um, what, yeah, at what point did you think I'm going to open a cheese shop? Right. <laughs> right. So um, I grew up really loving food, right? And I grew up in Singapore. I mean, the only cheese that I had growing up was Kraft Singles on toast and sugar. There was, I, I grew up eating that. It was a bit gross, but I, that's what I grew up. And then um, 12 years ago, when I moved to Melbourne, uh, I had my first taste of cheese and I went to my local service station and got myself a packet of Coons, um, <laughs> a packet of Jets crackers and some IXL jam. Oh, wow. And that was my first cheese splatter that I did. And that pretty much <laughs> sealed the deal for me that this is what I love. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, how times and, have changed. Uh, how times have changed. <laughs> I know. And then um, about four years ago, um, I was a marketer. Um, I was a digital marketer. And I just got a bit tired of being in an office. You know, I mean, like in MasterChef, you guys talk about your food dream. And yes. that was like the beginning of me realizing that I can't be in an office in front of a computer anymore. So me loving cheese, we got our first Delhi Bills Farm, also at a Quimbic market. And then um, two and a half years ago, um, we founded um, Ripe, which is the all Australian cheese shop in the country. Wow. So it's just a, a slow progression from starting from my craft singles and sugar <laughs> to my coons cheddar to mm. eating so much dairy and cheese in the last 12 years that I developed an intolerance to lactose. Oh no. I know. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm an Asian Singaporean lactose intolerant cheese manga. <laughs> I bet there's not too many people that have that same no, qualification. I, I don't think so. I don't think I, I see myself as really unique. So I think that's why people <laughs> kind of laugh and enjoy our chats. Oh, <laughs> wow. My story, yeah. In, in your journey of eating so much cheese, how did you mm -hmm. arrive at the concept of a cheese shop that would only sell Australian cheeses? Well, because mm. while I was at Bill's Farm, right, um, Bill's Farm is the deli that we bought four years ago, um, and it specializes in international produce, you know, things from Europe, from France, um, everywhere, really. And then um, during my time there as a cheesemonger, um, we, like, people kept asking me why it was a lot easier to find European cheese in Australia as compared to Aussie cheese in Australia, and I had no answer. Yeah. So, 
I started my research and I found that no one was actually championing Australian cheese. And even if shops were having Aussie cheese, it was mostly things that are mass produced and they weren't that great. And even if they were having artisanal, good quality Aussie cheese, it was only about, say, 20 to 30% of their overall um, range, right? No one was exclusively championing Aussie cheese. And I saw that as an opportunity. And, you know, being, a, being an outsider, you know, being a non-Aussie, and you kind of appreciate the things that you do not have from back home. And you, mm. you develop a really um, beautiful understanding and appreciation for things that you have here. And that's mm. what happened to me. And I said, you know what? If I want to do this, I'm going to put where you know, my money is and just go for it. Champion this, being the first one. And it's, it's not easy. Um, but, you know, it's a slow progress, but we'll get there eventually. I absolutely love that. It always fascinates yeah. me that we've got this incredible produce in Australia, you know, across the board, and we still import so many things from overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, cheese is one of them. Like we all know that, you know, the famous cheeses that are imported, the Rockfords and the Comtes and the Gorgons. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just had... Pussy vision. A cat just walked across the screen. <laughs> that was oh so good. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we all know those international cheeses, the Comtes, the Gorgonzolas, the Telagios of the world. Um, 100%. But Aussie cheeses, are they as good as international cheeses? Why does everyone go for these internationals? I think one of the reasons could be, well, it's marketing. I mean, the first mm-hmm. of all, the, the, the French have done an amazing job, you know, marketing their, their produce. And rightly so. They have had hundreds and hundreds of years of experience and history in cheese making. And they are very passionate and very nationalistic when it comes to their produce. Um, well, Coming again, sorry. <laughs> um, I would like to use an example of the wine industry in Australia. Mm. Cheese currently is where wine was, where Aussie wine was about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. No one wanted our wines. No one wanted our wines until something happened and now the world wants our wine. I, and I think this is what happened right now. I mean, with, with French cheeses, European cheeses, you know, they've had hundreds of years of experience in history. So when they do come here, you know, we do get a bit, I think it's the, it's the ego in us that, oh, look at me, I can afford or I can buy this amazing French cheese. I'm so frou-frou, you know, I'm like <laughs> yes. special. So I think that is part of it. And also because there's not enough outreach, there's not enough education um, on good artisanal Australian cheese. Really, mm. um, the industry is still really, really young. Um, I believe Australian cheese, artisanal Australian cheese, has only what's only started to grow in the last ten years or so. Mm. Um, like now, we have a lot more options, a lot more cheese makers coming up, and recently we also just had just have our first ever cheese making school in Castle Maine. Oh, wow. So cool. we, we have actually brought in an internationally world-renowned cheese educator and maker 
um, to teach the upcoming cheesemakers in Australia and also to renew, to upgrade the skills of current existing cheesemakers that we have. So I think, yes, right now it's still a bit challenging. It's still not as big as the French and the Europeans, but give us about five to 10 years. I'm pretty sure we'll be up there. And about Aussie cheese being as good as European, I 100% agree. Um, we have won many international awards, really. Um, say, for example, um, Berry's Creek. Um, mm-hmm. I believe you bought the River Rhine Blue um, yes. for your birthday party, Elise. Mm. Um, I, I think one of the cheeses won the Gold Award at the recent International Cheese Awards in Spain. So oh, wow. we are up there. We just do not know it yet. And it's such a shame. And and it's just, it's funny that this me, this brown Singaporean Asian person is trying to tell Aussies that, hey, we are actually really good. And I hope people can see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think maybe, you know, is one of the struggles, like, you know, a gorgonzola. So you'll go for a mm-hmm. gorgonzola. Um, but if you're wanting an equivalent Australian blue that is like mm-hmm. that, I guess, you know, what do you look for? Is there equivalent names? I would imagine, <clears throat> is there restrictions in terms of what you can call cheeses, like your champagne? 100%. Yeah. 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 100%. Um, I think right now um, we are going through a bit of a challenge with regards to naming cheese mm. in Australia. Um, so there are certain names that we can't, we cannot ever use that like Parmigiano Reggiano, mm-hmm. uh, Manchego, we can't use those are all protected here. Yep. Right. Um, so we, so the, the, the conversation is, should we as Aussies, should we be making replicas of those cheeses yeah. or should we be creating our own brand of cheese? and our own type of cheese. And that is something that we are seeing a lot more of. Again, I'm going to use the example of um, um, Long Paddock in Casamine. They created this particular cheese, which is a like, like a hybrid of a raclette and a howdah. And it's Ooh. something that you can't find anywhere else. And it's stunning. Or another one, um, the... Prom country in Gippsland, they created, I think it's a world's first, raw milk sheep's cheddar. Try Googling that. You cannot find that. So these are the things that, you know, it's so amazing that we can do it. We are not bound by any sort of laws, restrictions, Mm. history, you know, all of that crap, right? We can do whatever we want here. And I think we should just focus on that. If you want a gorgonzola, buy your Italian gorgonzola. But why not give all these new hybrids, new types, new categories a chance? And we are doing it here. How amazing is that? I'm excited about that. Yeah, that it's amazing. so incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think we should champion our own varieties rather than For trying sure. to just ride on the coattails of other brands or names and just replicating. We've got such a great opportunity here to do our own thing. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Yeah. I'm imagining you've met a lot of cheesemakers. Yes, Um, I have. And in your (laughs) travels, what what do you think has drawn people into cheesemaking? What seems to be a common denominator amongst people you buy cheese from? Hmm, Funny enough, (laughs) there's actually a lot of ex-corporate people in cheesemaking and cheesemongering. Yeah, um, I mean, I was ex-corporate. There's a few 
I know there's a finance person who's making cheese, ex-finance person making cheese in um, in South Australia. There was a former marketing director and a lawyer in Queensland. I think people just got sick of the grind, and mm. they want to do something that involves art as as well as science. I think cheese making is what like making dessert. You know, you can't just add stuff to it. You know, like I think making a seaweed dish, you can kind of w- like wing it. But with cheese, I I was naive enough before coming in to cheese industry that I thought it was so easy just adding cheese and rendered and salt. But it's the science behind it which is quite fascinating. Mm. And also combining it with the art of flavor and art of cultivating molds is very intriguing for most people. I mean, how do you – I mean, just imagine – Cheese starts off with milk, right? A liquid. And then after a few months or a few weeks, it becomes a solid. It's kind yes. of like a magician, isn't it? I yeah. mean, how fascinating is that? It is so magic, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's magic, yeah. Why do you think cheese makes people so happy? You mentioned before you're a feeder, you want to feed anyone that comes up to the right <laughs> stall at the market. Yes. You, know, that, you want to make people happy. What, what do you think it is? Well, first of all, I think cheese is. I think cheese sets shares similar compounds like crack cocaine, and I assume, <laughs> and I assume crack cocaine makes people happy, right? <laughs> so that's one. Um, and I think too is that I think cheese is. I mean, with regards to Australia, our culture is normally cheese eaten with family, with friends, at a party, in a gathering. You know, we, you don't normally hear people eating cheese by themselves, you know, as a meal. It's not really a thing we do here. Oh, it's compared to France. I think you know, I'll do I think it. it's well, good <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, it, I think it's more prevalent mm. in France as compared to here. So it's that food association of cheese eating with family and friends. I think that makes you happy. I mean, in my shop specifically, we get a lot of people coming to my shop specifically for parties. Like mm. you, Elise, I mean, you came to my shop and yes. for a party and that's, that's what people it. want. And that's a, a, the association they get from eating cheese and that's what makes it happy. And who does, I mean, honestly, dairy. Dairy makes everyone happy, really, I think. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is very yeah. luxurious, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of parties, so I know what cheeses I I purchased for my thirtieth, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, Hakim, you know, if you were to host a party, what cheeses yeah. would feature? If you could only choose, you know, three to five, what what wow, would be wow. some of your top <laughs> tips or top mm. picks at the moment? Mm. Crowd pleasers well, too, de- I suppose. Right. Well, mm. I was just about to say. I mean, it depends on who I'm inviting, right? Yeah. Um, all my friends love cheese, so that's a plus. I don't have any friends who do not love cheese, so that would be really hard for the friendship. It's very immediately So, so with regards to my friends, I would say we would go for like the bowl flavors. We love our bowl flavors. I would go with a this beautiful four and a half year old cheddar that we have from South Australia. It's like a party in your mouth. It's crumbly, it's salt crystals throughout, it's bitter, it's sweet, Ooh. it's sharp. It's beautiful. Unfortunately, I don't think we had some when you were there, Elise. Ah. Um, and then the other one I would have would be uh, my favorite goat cheese in the entire world. It's a Holy Goat La Luna. 
yeah. Um, creamy, soft, um, like zesty, lemony with a piece of like crisp pear stunning. Um, I would also have the Riverine Blue, the Buffalo Blue, one of my favorites blue in the whole entire world. Um, and I think one more thing, maybe a hmm, like a semi hard, like a like a gruyere of some type. Yeah, mm. something nutty and sweet. Yeah, just to round mm. it off. Yeah, and we are not fans of um, like paste and things like that. We normally love fruit for our cheese better. Um, just because we find paste a bit too sweet and it kind of hides and distracts from the flavor of cheese. Um, so fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. We actually, um, had a friend of ours, Manoli make a beautiful Fajoa jam, or I think her mum made it actually. Mm, And it was, it wasn't too sweet at all. And that's what we had Mm. on our, on our cheese platter. And it was divine with fresh pear also, of course. Yes. Yes, yes, yes of course. And that buffalo blue was such a crowd pleaser because mm-hmm. I find blue cheeses can sometimes be a little bit um, polarizing. You either love them or hate them, and they yep. can be really full on. Mm. Um, they can be. Whereas that buffalo blue is was so beautiful and soft and creamy, and, and it didn't mm-hmm. have that. Um, ammonia sort of overpowering yeah. flavor that you sometimes yeah. get with blues. It was stunning. Yep. Yeah, I have a tip though for those people Ooh, who are not yes. fans of blue on how to train yourself to like blues. And this is what I did, right? Okay. Initially. So I got this idea from an old friend, and he told me that um, grab yourself a piece of um, uh, fruit toast, right? And yes. you toast it in the oven, make it nice and crispy. You spread your blue. And then you drizzle a bit of honey or some um, honeycomb oh, on it. Yum. And trust me, if you didn't like blue, you would love the whole combination and flavor profile. It's beautiful. And then eventually, I remove the honey and then I remove the toast and I just eat the blue on its own. That's how I kind of train myself to like blue. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I it's love beautiful. That. Yeah, I think really sweets nice. go really well with cheeses. One of the things that I like is ginger nut biscuits with like a really creamy brie. Yeah, <laughs> stunning, yeah. I know yeah, that's yum. probably weird, but it's so good. Like a sweet ginger biscuit with a nice yeah. creamy brie it is the ultimate. Yeah, I mean, it's an indulgent for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes you just kind of want to not have savory and you want to have a cheese after dinner. And yes. you need this sweetness to just counteract all of that savory, funky flavors of cheese. And ginger biscuits, yes, 100%. Honey, 100%. Mm. Um, port. Port, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah things like that. <laughs> go yeah, go, go for your life, yeah. <laughs> I have another question for you in terms of mm-hmm. like tips and tricks because we like to cover that on this show and I love that the name of your business is Ripe. Yeah. And so when you talk about whether a cheese is ripe, what does that mean? What are you looking mm-hmm. for? How can you tell if it's ripe or not? And how do you tell if it's overripe? Yeah. So I think the easiest, I mean, Look, there are different versions of ripe for different types of cheese, right? Mm-hmm. I think the easiest one for for someone to to figure out would be a soft cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, unfortunately, a lot of shops these days um, 
they are selling under ripe cheese. Mm-hmm. So meaning that when you buy yourself, when you grab yourself a piece of cheese um, around and you press on it, it's still a bit, it has a bit of resistance. It's still a bit um, hard. And that's when you know that it's not ripe at all. A ripe cheese should be nice and soft. Um, it should also have a bit of an aroma to it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when you open it up, when you leave it up, and again, the most important thing about eat cheese eating before you eat, it needs to be let out of the fridge for at least an hour to let the cheese breathe, to let the cheese come to room temperature. And that's where the, the texture is amazing. The flavor blooms, right? So when you cut it open, um, it, it should be nice and soft. A proper traditional brie would r- run, would have a bit of ooziness to it. Oh, yeah. Right? And the flavor should not be just milky and salty. It needs to have a bit of funk. It needs to have a bit of mushroomy notes. It needs to have a bit of cauliflower notes to it. Yes. That's the sign of a properly ripe traditional brie. Oh. Yeah, and that's how you do it. And one of my challenges at the shop is to really, and again, I'm called Ripe. I need to sell Ripe cheese to customers, (laughs) right? And one of the challenges that we have is to manage that, right? Um, And how we do it is that we bought ourselves a wine cooler, Mm -hmm. a wine fridge with Mm. proper temperature controls, and we age our white moles in the fridge, because sometimes when we receive cheese from cheese, from cheese makers, they have about four weeks, you know, before it's ready to be eaten. And that's wow. if if you store it in your fridge, it would take even longer for it to get ripe. Oh, wow. But if you store it in a properly controlled temperature with proper humidity, you can kind of manage it a lot better. So these days, all my customers are getting perfectly ripe soft cheeses um hopefully at least um and (laughs) and yeah and and, and with regards to hard cheeses it's all about um the flavor profile i mean with cheddar sometimes i mean the the four and a half year old cheddar that i spoke to you about earlier um it's when it gets very vegemite on the rind Mm -hmm. you know it's getting too much (laughs) okay yeah yeah, it is all about the, the 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 color you see. The color is getting too orange or too dark. You know, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Or if it's getting a bit too pungent in the smell, the ammonia smell is getting a bit too overpowering. You know, that's too ripe mm-hmm. for anything really for blues for soft. And also, if you see moles on your mm-hmm. white moles, if you see a mold other than say white or sometimes even orange, you know it's time. It's, it's not good anymore. It's bad mm. molds. There's it's good bad molds mold. and yeah. bad molds. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your um, storage tips? If people were to, mm. so for example, mm. I bought uh, large wheels uh, <laughs> for the purpose of mm. my birthday party. I like yeah. buying cheese by the wheel. I feel like it's generous yeah. and impressive on a cheese yeah. cutter. And, you know, not, not everything might get eaten. What yep, should people correct. do to appropriately store hard cheeses, soft cheeses, blue cheeses? Right. Okay. So first of all, before we even tackle the whole storing of cheese, right, mm. we're going to talk about 
the knives that you use to oh, cut yeah? the cheese, Ooh, especially yeah. if you plan to store it later, right? Mm-hmm. So make sure that the knives are not mixed between cheeses. I because just imagine, just imagine, right? Because cheese is all mold and things like that. So if you use the same knife to cut a blue and then to cut a brie after, mm. and then you wrap the brie, and when you store it in the fridge, I guarantee you the mold from that blue will be growing on your brie. So get something to think about even before storing, right? Yes. I'm going to tell so, everyone off in the future when I see that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So the, the, the other tip is that also if you want to buy large wheels, only cut what you want to eat. Mm. Yeah, that's really important. So you're not kind of putting the whole wheel there. Yeah. Or, or if you want to put the whole wheel as like a feature, section it. Yeah. Right? Mm. So you have like sections of it on the board. Um, so once you've done all of that, um, you want to store it, never store it in plastic. Mm-hmm. Never. My shop, um, we would, so whenever a cheese leaves a shop to a customer, it's always wrapped in cheese paper. And the reason why we wrap it in cheese paper is because it has millions and millions of perforated tiny holes on it to allow mm. um, the air to, to kind of breathe, to, lo- to allow the cheese wow. to breathe, really. Um, and that's quite important because when you wrap it in plastic, you trap all that air and moisture in the cheese, on the cheese, and that, unfortunately, it, it minimizes the quality of cheese the longer you keep it. Mm, right. Okay. However, if you do not have cheese paper, the next best thing at home is baking paper. Uh, I was going to ask you that because I definitely yeah. don't have cheese paper at home. Baking I feel paper. it's something I might need to invest in. <laughs> yeah. Baking paper is the next, next best paper. thing. Perfect. And um, the best place to store your cheese is in the vegetable crisper compartment. Ah, interesting. Yeah, because I find the temperature in there is a lot more consistent because mm-hmm. it has that flap that covers, it, mm. it creates this little sort of mini environment that is consistent for the cheese. I try my best to never put it in the door compartment. Uh-huh. And you know why? Because I think what COVID has taught all of us is that we snack a lot. Yes. And we walk to the fridge a lot. So the more we open the fridge, the temperature <laughs> in the door fluctuates and that is uh-huh. not good for the cheese. So mm. I tend to put it in a crisper and leave it there with my with my baking paper or um or um um cheese paper. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And just leave it in the paper, let it sort of breathe just so let have it, it in just, a container and No, no, just leave it oh. in there. Yeah. Um and in terms of the duration of how long you can store, it depends on the type of cheese. I highly recommend um, eating cheese, soft cheeses, especially eat it within two weeks. Don't store it any longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, blue cheese, similar, two weeks, eat it as fast as you can. Hard cheeses, you can keep it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do see mold on a hard cheese, do not throw away the whole cheese. Mm. Cut the mold and eat the rest. Mm-hmm. I'm happy you okay. said that. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely that's that's yep. something I've inherited from my family too. You just cut yep. the mold off anything cut and the mold you can and eat, it. eat the rest. Do not <laughs> do not chuck it out. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, what else? Um, yeah. Oh, and never, never, ever freeze cheese. 
Oh, I never have tried. Never ever fishing. So because Ooh. I have a funny story. I have a funny story. So this was this happened um, about three and a half years ago, four years ago. There's this um, um, customer. She was so excited. She was so excited to get married. So um, she came to the shop. She wanted a cheesecake tower for a wedding, oh. and she came specifically wanted wanting a four tier tower, right? Oh, and you know, in the midst of her excitement. She ended up picking eight different cheeses, so an eight-layered cheese tower. Oh, and wow. I went, I went, um, sweetie, this is too much. You only have hundred people. This is like for four hundred people. She's like, oh that's fine, that's fine. I'm like, <laughs> sure, it's your money. You do what you want. My advice is, it's too much, right? So <laughs> off she went with uh, eight wheels of cheese. Happy, had a wedding. One year later. She came back to the shop with her baby, newborn, and she said, oh my God, Hakim, guess what? I'm like, what? I still have your cheese from my wedding. I'm like, what do you mean? I've been freezing them. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I was, like, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, no. I was like, I'm like, yeah. I hope they still think it's good. I mean, could you imagine trying to, like, eating tore out cheese it's all like mushy and yuck mm. it would be yeah. strange <laughs> so I, yeah. I often have a um like a grated uh, pecorino or parmesan in the in the that's freezer fine. That's, that's fine, fine. Okay. okay that's fine yeah <laughs> that's checking. the only thing you can freeze grated yeah. parmesan or pecorino i think that's fine because okay. you eventually gonna cook with it right it's not gonna melt yeah. anyway so it doesn't matter mm. but yes. could you imagine eating frozen blue or frozen Oh, like a triple oh. cream. No way. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it would, the, yeah, the mouthfeel would be completely off. Totally it, off. it wouldn't yeah. be creamy and smooth anymore. No. Nah. Oh, imagine freezer burn on your cheese. No. Nah. It should never be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, I anyway. Think only, yeah, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think the only time you should be freezing cheese if you made it in an ice cream. I think that's yeah. fine. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> they did do that at MasterChef this week. They did a ricotta parfait. And I was interested Yum. how that would work with the ricotta cheese in a parfait and frozen. Uh, I mean, I've made apple pie cheddar ice cream before. Yeah. And I've apple pie and I, cheddar. Yeah, and I've made a triple cream honeycomb ice cream before as well. That is beautiful. Oh, yum. It's I yum. want that. I want that. <laughs> oh, yum. Someone yes. like you can do things like that. That's otherwise a quite an expensive experimental process. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what about a savory dish? I love so I'm not sure you tried this in my shop, but one of my favorite things to do is making um putting cheese in my uh, my pastry. So in my pie oh, pastry. Oh yeah. So I have this I have this five year old goat's cheese mm-hmm. which I grated in my pie pastry. So I use half butter for oh, shortening yeah. and half of this cheese. That's so Ladam. much. I love that percentage. Oh. And it is <laughs> it is it makes for the most crumbly just buttery pastry and the flavor it's so full of umami (laughs) people always ask what's in this they always think it's in the filling Mm. but it's not it's actually in the pastry and i find butter itself although it's delicious but i think it's such a wasted opportunity if you don't add flavor to the pastry Mm, so that is like my my i love putting cheese in my pastry love it love 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 
What yeah. filling do you pair with that? Um, I my favorite filling is uh, mustard, leek, and chicken. Oh yum! Yeah, I'm hungry. cheese buttery pastry. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so good. Yeah, yeah. Yum. This is my favorite thing to make with cheese. Really beautiful. Mm. Oh. Beautiful, yeah. Would you say it's sacrilegious for people to come to your shop and select a bunch of cheeses for a fondue? Would it, what, no. What's your opinion of that? Okay. God, and if they God, were no. to do that, what cheeses would you recommend? I think fondue. I mean, again, let's just not let's just not make ourselves bound by traditions, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Let's just fondue. In essence, is just melted cheese, mm. right? So. Why can we just melt whatever cheese we want in it? Yes. <laughs> right? Jeez. I mean, but, I mean, you, you can use a raclette. You can use um, a mm. gruyere. You know, you can use any of this, that, um, that um, alpine-style cheeses that melts beautifully, really. It all, up, it all depends on the flavor profile that you want. Mm. And that's normally the first thing I ask. Um, what flavor profile that you want? Yes. You know? Okay. Uh, yeah. I need you to sell me something at your store because I'm going to come in. And <laughs> right. I, I, I am the customer that wants to make a fondue with with Australian cheeses. Mm-hmm. And I want to be dipping some of the beautiful mushrooms that we have in season at the moment into uh, this yes. fondue. Yeah. Some yeah. roasted mushrooms. I'm ha- I've got mm-hmm. them on a stick and I'm dipping mm-hmm. them into cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Hot, gooey cheese and mushrooms. Yeah. What What should I be dipping those mushrooms into? All right. First of all, um, I think you need a base and the base should be mm. a gruyere, right? Okay. Mm. Nutty, um, a bit of sweetness there. And then another cheese called the Smoko, which is a ma- al- alpine-style cheese which has been cold-smoked. I think a bit of smoky, subtle, yes. smoky flavor with mushrooms go really well. Mm. And just for a bit of fun, there is another cheese. I can't remember the name, but it is a washed rind. You s- remove the rind, scrape off the insides, and then you kind of melt it all in this concoction. Mm. And that would give that mushroomy, oh, yeah. funky flavor. And I think all those yes. flavor profile combined, you have that nice nuttiness, a bit of subtle smokiness, and that mushroomy funk would go really nice with some mushrooms and a glass of Chardonnay. Oh, yes. Oh, there you go. We've got a wine pairing <laughs> yeah. and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you so yeah. much, Hakim. We have no absolutely worries. loved talking with you. Oh, Thank you, yeah. Cheese Nerd. We love you. Yes. <laughs> I could talk to you all day about cheese. I love how mm. passionate you are and oh, how good. knowledgeable yeah. you are. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. And, um, yeah, where can people find your cheese? So you can find my cheese and my shop at the Dairy Hall. Um, shop 41 slash 42 at the Queen Vic Market, right? Um, so we do all Aussie and we also do cheese toasties. Um, yes. So um, our famous cheese toastie has three cheeses in there, mozzarella, cheddar, a bit of blue, and our secret caramelized leeks between mm. buttered sourdough and a side of pickles. Um, oh, and, that, and that's our, like, the original, the OG. People come, we sell hundreds of that every week. Um, but starting next week, 
on on Saturday. I'm not sure if you've heard, but um, it's our toasty that went absolutely viral last year. It's Ooh. Melbourne's most truffled toasty. Oh, hello! Yeah. I need yeah, to come um, to Melbourne. Yeah, it, yeah. So it has, <laughs> I'm in so Melbourne, it, Hakim. I'll see you there. <laughs> yes. Do you so deliver has, them to Brisbane? No, I don't, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> so it has about 12 grams of freshly shaved truffles in it Whoa. with um, cheese and truffle honey and truffle salt. And last year we sold <laughs> about 5,000 during lockdown. What? Oh and my it God. went viral. It went viral on TikTok, on Instagram. We were written up in the UK. It just went oh nuts. <laughs> so starting Saturday is coming back. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God. There you go. I love oh, that. <laughs> Saturday, yes. Saturday morning is planned for me. I'm putting it in my diary. I'm booking um, my can flights. I just say, do not come this Saturday. I expect it to be really busy. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't come so, now, he says. Don't come this Saturday. I mean, I mean, look, if you want to come, just make sure that you pre-order yeah. on our website. Pre-order because oh, that's if a good you come, tip. because like last year we were sold mm. out like by there was one day we were sold out by eleven a.m. Wow, we oh sold gosh. about hundred by eleven a.m. Okay. There was just okay. nuts. So go to our website, pre-order if you really want to come. That's the best way. Then you can yeah. assure you can be guaranteed of a toasting. Okay, beautiful. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm booking my flights right now. I'll be there on Sunday. The cheese school in Castlemaine sounds like an absolute good time, doesn't it, Scotty Bagnall? Oh, yes. I've always wanted to make, like, proper cheese. It's something that mm. is not relatively easy. I think you would be the same as me. Like, make ricotta all the time. Ricotta is one of the easiest cheese you could possibly make because you don't need any special ingredients. You just need a saucepan, some milk, a vinegar or lemon juice, um, and away you go. You've got beautiful That's ricotta. Right. Um, mm. But other cheeses, like I wouldn't know where to start to make a brie or a cheddar or, you know, any of those, mozzarella, like how do you make it yeah. stringy? I mm. think there's lots of like special tools and ingredients that you need. Um, have you ever yeah. made anything apart from ricotta? Well, if you can make ricotta, you can make ricotta salata. And with that Ooh. hard ricotta, you ah. need to dry it out in the fridge and um, that's something that Nonna has made forever. It's something her mum made as well. And ricotta oh, never yeah. goes off in our household because you let it dry out and in the fridge and then it becomes a grateable cheese. Really? Yes. I've never tried that. Traditionally, you have that with um, pasta alla norma, which is the eggplant sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about it? But Yum. in terms of other cheeses, I haven't tried – I mean, I've made – Junket. <laughs> is junket a oh, cheese? Yeah. I um, was obsessed with junket as a kid. Can I tell you, that was my favourite thing. I probably had junket maybe five out of seven days a week. Oh, We'd have yes. these little junket tablets that would come in a box and each tablet had a different flavour. So there was like mm. strawberry and chocolate and I don't know what vanilla. Um, so you'd choose the flavour and you just crush it add yeah. hot milk to it and you get this beautifully set junket. Oh, yes. it's so good. Oh, food I, trends. Like what happens yeah. with food trends? I always find that fascinating. Like growing up, junket was a thing. Everyone ate junket, but I can guarantee you now, I don't even know. I've never seen it in the shops. Like no, probably people don't I. even know what that means. Oh, God, no. The trend now is to do the whole hot jump 
skip and twirl from your uh, <laughs> corporate life into fully fledged cheesemaking. Have you ever spoken to a cheesemaker? No. Have you ever thought to ask a cheesemaker about the regulations involved in cheesemaking? No. Have you ever pondered over the barriers to cheese making mm. that might create challenges to making the beautiful <laughs> cheese that we like to eat? Look, I have actually. That's an interesting oh. question. I think we need to talk to a cheesemaker. We are joined by the wonderful Burke of Prom Country Cheese. Burke, thank you so much for joining us. Um, our first question, of course, is uh, uh, the invitation for you to please introduce yourself, your company, and what drew you to cheese making? Okay, well, um, <clears throat> yes, I'm the, the founder and head cheesemaker at Prom Country Cheese. We're down in South Gippsland, just sort of 20 minutes from the coast down near Inverloch and about an hour and a half from Melbourne. And so we've got a farm down here where we're um, with my wife, Bronwyn. We're milking sheep on the farm and processing all that milk into cheese on site on the farm. Beautiful. Amazing. That's pretty amazing. And so you, you milk the sheep and make the, make the cheese all in the one spot. Is that normal? Uh, it's not that common in Australia. Mm. Um, you've kind of got to be pretty small to be able to do everything together yeah. um but we're actually working with another dairy farmer who milks the cows um that's daniel mm -hmm. and um so we sort of work together he milks the cows we milk the sheep and we work together making the cheese so it's a real sort of team effort um but originally uh, i got into cheese making through my family my my father started making cheese about 25 years ago and um, we were farmers at the time, and um, after after a little while, they, that my parents finally convinced me to um, try cheese making, and there was something that kind of uh, piqued my interest. Um, just sort of having no idea uh, what where cheese came from and how it was made, but as I got into it, um, I fell in love with the process because it all made sense to me being a, a farmer. Instead of growing things in soil, we're growing things in milk and yeah. really things just um, behave the same way like that. So it kind of, yeah, it all makes sense to me. Beautiful. That is amazing. Um, I, I yeah. bet the cheese industry has changed a lot in 25 years. Have you had any perspective on that? Like growing up with your parents, cheesemakers, have you seen the cheese industry develop? We were just talking with, about this with um, Hakim about, you know, Australian cheese finally starting to take off and get recognised and we're used to all these international cheeses. Have you seen the cheese industry change in Australia over the last 25 years? Yeah, um, I guess my father was a bit of a trailblazer there with, with European-style cheeses. He was kind of ahead of his time. Um, back then, we we knew what we wanted to do, and we were sort of blazing ahead <laughs> with um, the the specialty cheeses that way. Yeah. Um, but they, as we've gone over the years, there's been more and more people who've been able to educate as to the difference between um, a, a plain cheese with not much flavour and a traditionally made cheese that gets stronger as it ripens. And um, we've also follow that journey with um, changing from initially 
um, educating people about the benefits of of goat cheese when goat cheese wasn't very widely known. Mm. It sort of took us about 10 years to get that uh, fairly mainstream. Oh, wow. And then um, as we we started milking our sheep about 14 years ago, um, we started that journey again of um, explaining to people um, that you can actually get milk from sheep and it makes (laughs) the best cheese anywhere. (laughs) Amazing. So that's that's just brought through by lots of face-to-face cheese tastings and talking to people like this um, as to what what's out there. Absolutely. I'm wondering, for our listeners who aren't aware of what the country is like down in South Gibby, um, could you describe what it's like where you live and the kind of geography where your animals are grazing? Yeah, so we're in the sort of western end of South Gippsland, um, just as the the coastal plains sort of rise up into the hills, and so we're up in the hills um, here, but actually our farm's in a valley. We've got the Foster Creek that runs through our farm. Um, we've got some parts of the farm in the hills and some on the creek flats, and uh, it's very deep soils. They're kind of the, the soils where the giant earthworms grow because the topsoil's so deep. And um, because of that, we have that and our um, rainfall, we have green grass most of the year round. And so that's really good for producing grass-fed milk that we don't need to feed them on on grain. It's just um, pasture. And um, we're also able to run our farm organically. So we're certified organic now as well. Wow, that's an incredible feat. Congratulations. That is amazing. Mm. It does take take some time to to figure out how to farm organically and keep your animals healthy at the same time, and um, yeah, it's good to have having a little community of of um, organic farmers which help you with advice and all that sort of thing. Do you think that affects the flavour of your end product? Definitely, milk quality is the most important thing in in making cheese, and yeah, I guess. When we're following the process all the way through from the pasture to milking and making the cheese and then maturing the cheese and serving it to people, we, we like to know that everything that's gone into that milk is completely natural and that we're not putting anything into the milk that shouldn't be there or that shouldn't be in our food. So um, it's particularly important with when we're making our raw milk cheese that um, we're preserving as much life in the original milk as possible because all of that life in the milk um, eventually um, develops through the cheese as it matures and influences the flavours and textures of the cheese. Speaking of flavours and textures, so Scotty and I recently got to try your Venus Blue and I'm wondering if you could walk us through your cheese range. What, what kinds of cheeses are you making and, and what's the scope of the potential of your cheese making? Um, yeah, we make a fairly large range for a small producer um, from soft cheeses to hard and, of course, the blue. Uh, we never used to make blue cheese for about the first 10 years. Um, we... We were a bit sort of afraid of the blue mould and what it, what it would do to <laughs> our, the rest of our cheese. Um, but as we yeah, 
developed a system to for it to work and the blues blue cheese had their end of the building <laughs> separate airspace <laughs> to everything else then then things work well um so the other thing is with sheep milk it's very seasonal and we only have milk for nine months of the year so um while we have fresh milk we like to um celebrate all the fresh cheeses but when we don't have any milk, we also like to have cheese the rest of the year as well. So through the spring is when we get the majority of our milk, and that's when we make a lot of our, our hard cheeses that um, last us all, all year round. So we have five or six different hard cheeses, and, um, yeah, lately the, the focus has been on making raw milk cheese with our in the, in the hard cheese category. Um, that's our Moyer Reserve. Uh, that's matured... A minimum of five months, but usually around 12 months that we, we keep it to age. Um, so the cheese from 2020 um, is just finished coming through through now. So that was kind of 14 months old, and we're just going on to new season raw milk cheese, which is um, about six months old. Oh, yeah. wow. How do you know when it's ready? Is it just so – do you just keep tasting it until you're – are you looking for a particular flavour or texture or colour? Yeah, everything, really. Mm -hmm. um, you can just tell when you, when you cut a cheese a little bit young and you kind of already know that it's going to be a little bit young just through experience and it, it's a nice pleasant cheese but it just doesn't have the wow factor mm -hmm. and that's particularly relevant with the venus blue as well at um three to four months or even four months it's um quite a pleasant cheese it looks like a blue cheese but there's just something missing from it that you have in the six month old venus blue um which where the texture really starts breaking down and the all the enzymes in the curds have an opportunity to, to do their work. And it kind of changes from being a blue cheese to towards something else, something of, of its own. Um, mm. You know, it becomes more about the, the reaction in the, in the curds and less about the blue mould. So the blue mould plays a role in, early on in the development of the cheese and after it's sort of done its job breaking the curds down, it's not as relevant anymore. So you've still got that background flavour of the blue mould without it dominating the, 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 those sharp flavours that blue can create sometimes and being um, too, too overwhelming on the blue side. Being a cheesemaker, is it a constant experience of, of learning as you go? And, and what has that learning process been like for you? Mm. Yeah, um, I've been a cheesemaker now for 20 years and I still make mistakes every time I, I make cheese and, and hopefully they're just little mistakes that you can minimise. But the fact is that, that milk is always different. Every every batch of milk we put in the vat is slightly different and the environment's different, the, the weather's different, which affects the humidity in our cellars, so things ripen differently. And I guess the, the key to all that is really just um, being super observant. You learn to read what the milk's doing, pay attention to how things are developing, and I guess all we're really doing is guiding the milk in the hopefully in the direction we want it to go or to maximise its potential of how it 
how good it can end up. Yeah, we were talking about um, terroir, like you talk about in wine. In cheese, obviously, there must be something very similar, that the, the milk from that day comes from a particular animal that's been eating a particular section of grass. So there must be a lot of differences in terms of the milk that you work with and the outcome that you get from the cheese. Yeah, that's particularly prevalent in or um, highlighted in in the raw milk cheese because everything that was in the milk is coming through in the cheese. Mm. And so you you really get to see the difference between milk that's had that pasteurising step and milk that's just let to go to to its... um, yeah, full full potential. So, mm. and you can taste definitely taste that in the in the cheese from the raw milk cheese. It's just so much broader in its its flavours and its aftertaste as well. And um, that's why we we liked we we decided to just call our raw milk cheese Moyara because that's the place where it comes from and that that's the the taste of our our valley here. Um, I love that. And yeah, that that same that same milk taken somewhere else and made in a different location will end up differently. Or if we bring somebody else's milk here and make it here, it will taste different as well. So yeah, it is quite unique that way. I think that's amazing. Is there any legislative requirements or restrictions in terms of making cheese with raw milk? I know there's lots around selling raw milk just as raw milk. Yeah, there's. I guess there's a reason why we're the only ones in Victoria that are doing it, and there's only two of us in Australia that are making um, completely raw milk cheese that hasn't been heated in any part of the process, um, because it is um, something that um, food regulators are um, worried about. Mm. They they're, they're nervous about the process, um, and I guess they're not cheesemakers, so they don't sort of understand fully understand the cheese making process of how you're fermenting a food, you're adding salt to it, you're drying it out and all these things um, help contribute to the, the safety of it mm. and so yeah for that reason um, yeah, it took us about two years to develop the, the paperwork to be given um, permission to make raw milk cheese um, wow. to get a license for that specifically and um, yeah there's quite a process in, in every step in the dairy, before the milk even arrives into the cheesery, we have to know that the milk's um, perfectly clean and safe. And then testing the young cheese that we've just made and then testing the cheese again before we release it. So it's it's quite expensive process as well. But, um, yeah, we can be really confident that the cheese that we're releasing is perfectly safe to eat. Amazing. I love that so much because that's how it's been done for centuries. And, you know, we've introduced all of these processes that really destroy a lot of those um, beautiful features and um, benefits from, you know, natural products like this. Yeah, that's right. There's so many things in the milk that we don't even know what they do, mm. but we know it all contributes to diversity and and um, that diversity of food that's going into our bodies is making us more resilient to what's out there in, in the real world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. The, 
I suppose law can be queer, very restrictive. And I think Victoria is known to be one of the most restrictive states in terms of our, our food safe um, policies. And it's quite a testament to you and your team that you were able to jump over some of those hoops and um, be able to create a raw milk cheese here in Victoria. So thank you so very much, Burke. That's definitely um, a big thank you from me as an enthusiastic consumer. Mm. Well, we figured that somebody had to do it and we're perfectly positioned to be able to do it, having our own animals on site. We, we're in complete control of the quality of our milk mm. and that's really foremost in, in the um, requirements for, for doing that. Burke, if people were to try and find your cheese, other than ripe at the Queen Victoria market, where could we find Prom Country cheese? Yeah, mainly at, at the specialty delis. Um, there's another one called Cane and Fromagerie in the South Melbourne market um, and um, Harpram Blom in Brunswick. Um, and, yeah, similar kinds of delis and um, the little smaller supermarkets and that. But, um, yeah, you never know where it might sort of pop up. But... Um, Actually, this weekend we're serving our cheese at a local food and wine festival in Lock, which is just on the South Gippsland Highway, not far from here. No. And we've got our, our cellar door open this weekend as well, which is kind of a monthly thing where people can visit the farm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Burke. It's been an absolute yes. pleasure to discuss cheese with you and to learn about your beautiful um, property and your beautiful cheese. Thank you so much. Can talk about it until the shape comes <laughs> <in. laughs> That's good. That's good. Oh, I'm so proud to be Victorian. How about that? We're the second state to have a raw cheese maker. That is so impressive. Mm. And, you know, to have that initiative to go through that process, which would not have been easy to get that certified. Not Good on, Burke. I think that is amazing. Scotty, let's have a little bit of a show and tell segment, shall we? I'm excited about this week. Yeah. Do you want to go first? <gasps> oh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, go, go, go. I'm too excited. I'm too excited. Woo! Mine's like two things, but they relate to each other. I it wonder if I cool. can show you this thing. Oh, I can. I'm going to hold this up and not show you like the top of it. And you've got to guess what's you've got to guess right. what's in my box. We're we're back to that what's in the box segment from uh, earlier in the season of Cream Eggs and Jam. This is a larger box than what you have presented in the past, and it sounds. Like it's a little bit rattly. Now it looks like a wooden box. It has the bit of a, has a bit of a like a MasterChef, a mystery box kind of vibe about it. And it sounds like there are metal things in there. What have you acquired, Scotty Bagnall? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. Is it cheese related? This is cheese related, and you kind of you stole my thunder in our interview uh, with Hakim. Really? Knives. <laughs> Hello. <gasps> Fondue. Hello. This is oh, an original this 1970s fondue set that my very good oh. friend Anne gave me. Oh. Hello, little beauty. Look it's at got this flowers. gorgeous little pot. Oh, little. Is it terracotta with and No, yellow? this one is like <laughs> 
This one is a metal, so it's like an aluminium. Ooh. I've got like a stoneware one as well. But this okay. one is this beautiful like mustard yellow sort of colour mm. with 70s inspired flowers around the outside. It sits on a little stand. It's got the matching sort of handle and your timber little fondue. What do you call mm. these things? Spikes? Has <laughs> 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 this got a technical name? It probably skewer? does. Fondue skewer? Stabby thing? Stabby thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah. With your stabby oh, with your stabby thing. No, with your um, preference of cheeses for a fondue, do you deviate at all from some of the suggestions that Hakim gave us? Well, this is a very good question, at least, for my part two of show and tell. Oh, <laughs> it's a whole book on the topic. <laughs> this is Fondue Cookery by Alison Burt. It is also an original 1970s masterpiece. <gasps> um, you'll probably yes. find this one at Books for Cooks, I'm sure. And really? it has like a whole thing about all of the mm. different fondues and cheeses. Interestingly... I'm very surprised the traditional fondue, um, there was a little bit of a, um, the Swiss cheese fondue from which all of the other fondues are derived is the traditional um, Nochantel, Nochantel oh. fondue um, from Switzerland. And this original fondue recipe has got some very interesting ingredients. One clove mm. of garlic, one and a half cups of dry white wine, mm -hmm. lemon juice, two cups of emmental. Emmental. Is cheese. that another cheese? It's mm -mm. another cheese. Mm. Emmental. Um, two cups of grated Gruyere cheese, tablespoon of corn flour. This is random. Three tablespoons of Kirsch. Sure. Interesting. <laughs> White pepper, grated nutmeg, paprika to taste. Wow. What an interesting combination. So I've, I do like my cheese fondue with white wine, that like mm -hmm. wininess and the melted cheese and having a little bit of that acidity and like the herbal notes of the wine mm. I think work really well in a good gooey cheesy fondue. But the yes. um, introdu introduction of the kirsch is very interesting. I can't yeah. quite imagine that, like, cherry, because kirsch is something that you would use in a black forest cake traditionally. I use kirsch all the time in black forest cakes. It's got a very strong yeah. cherry flavour. <laughs> it's so bizarre, isn't it? This is mm. another food trend, like fondue cooking. Again, in like the 70s, you would have fondue parties regularly yeah. and it was such a big part of food culture. In like I I obviously didn't experience it in the 70s, but I know a lot of people that talk about it um, mm. and I know how popular it was, but then it's just disappeared. No one does fondue anymore. Why? Okay, there is a shop called Milk the Cow. Oh, right. There are two yes. of them here in Melbourne. One's on Largon Street and the other one, I think it's um, around St Kilda Way. Mm. You can get cheese flights there. And if you do ah. not get a cheese flight, you might order single serves of cheeses. You might order from the cheese um, fridge or cabinet, I should say. Or you can order 
fondue and they have oh, elevated yeah. fondue. Their fondue um, really allows whatever cheeses that they're using to really be appreciated. It's not like a mixing hot pot magosh of disaster. It is <laughs> everything that you want fondue to be and more. You've got beautiful dipping um, options of local sourdough. Mm, um, yum. And Look, for me personally, I want crudite. I want young baby vegetables to dip into fondue. I want yes. young fresh radishes, um, maybe mm. a little like some fennel would be lovely. Oh, and yeah. sugar snap peas. What do you want, Scotty? What's in oh. your dipping selections? Oh, see, I like to have a savory and a dessert fondue. I think it's very important oh. if you're having a fondue party, you need to do both. You've not done both? You need to have savoury and then a dessert. You follow up with the dessert fondue. Is the fondue for dessert also cheese or is it chocolate? Oh, no, chocolate. (laughs) Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Or custard. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Here we go. (laughs) Yum. A bit of a chocolate custard fondue. Yum. With some mud cake that you just like dip in the custard. And fruit cake. Mm-hmm. Strawberries. Um, no. I immediately just go to sweet because I'm such a sweet tooth. But like yes. little cubes of fun things in a dessert fondue is so good. Oh yeah, Cakes, I love little biscuits. cubes of fun things. <laughs> <laughs> Such fun! I've now got my fondue set out, so I'm going to have to hold a fondue party. I think. Yes, please. All right, let me let me do a little bit of a show and tell, Scotty. Mine okay. is. Um, also a two-part piece Ooh. and a two-piece feed. <laughs> it complements Hakim's discussion of using mm. cheese and pastry. Uh, we're going to put up a little photo right about now if you're yes. watching on YouTube. And these are monkey biscuits that I recently made um, oh. up at the meat room in Kilmore where I sometimes do some casual work. And these are my take on a monkey biscuit. They are cheddar and apple flavoured. So there's oh, yum. a Cheddar cheese in the sweet um, shortbread mm-hmm. or uh, I suppose it's a sweet biscuit recipe that I've added cheddar to and then sandwiched in the middle of these two thin biscuits is apple butter. Apple and butter? What is apple yeah, butter? Yeah. Apple butter is um, apple that you have reduced so you have cooked the hell out of it and kept cooking it, <laughs> kept cooking it, and you've turned seven kilos of apple into one small container of this thick black caramel that oh. is just intensely apple-flavoured and spreadable. Wow. Mm-hmm. So is the apple, apple like, is it pureed or cubed or juiced or what is well, the, the apple? The first time I made it, I peeled and cored my apples, chopped them, add a little bit of water, a little bit of sugar, apple cider vinegar and some spices and then had that in the oven all day on low, stirring intermittently. The second time I made it, I did a little bit more research and you don't need to peel your apples. That's the waste of time. Mm-hmm. Really? especially when you're working with so many apples. So this is a recipe if you have a glut of apples. And, of course, what goes well with apples and cheese, you know, they go well together. They're they're made for each other. Mm. Um, someone else that puts apple and cheese together is my favourite lady in the world, Nigella Lawson. <gasps> yes. 
My second part of my show and tell is from How to Be a Domestic Goddess by oh, Nigella. Love it. One of her earlier books, and it is her double apple pie. And Nigella mm. puts cheddar in her crust. What? It's not, yeah, it's not something advertised right. within the title of the recipe. If you have this book at home, it's her recipe for double apple pie. And in the description of the recipe, she says, the notion of putting cheddar in the pastry of an apple pie is not a new one, but I was pleased all the same to see how well it worked. Okay. Mm. Of course it works. It's it's like seasoning with umami. Yeah. What sort of cheese? Mm. Does she say what sort of cheese to use? Just gr- just cheddar. Cheddar. And sometimes if I – so I typically always have a tasty cheese in the fridge mm. because toasties, you need – I don't mm. know. It's a rule. In, our, in my upbringing, you always have a block of tasty, fr- tasty in the fridge. Um, and so sometimes I've just used tasty cheese in the, in the crust. But if you have a nice cheddar kicking about, mm. particularly after a, ch- uh, after a cheese board and it's the cheese that's been left behind, give it a grating and pop it into your short crust or your rough puff or wow. your sweet, sweet, sweet biscuit. Dough. <laughs> I'm really interested by what Hakeem said. He said he does a 50 percent, half the amount of butter, half the amount of fat is butter, and half the amount is cheese. Jeez. So I'm going to really up my cheese in pastries yeah. um, that I that I make soon, just to really test how far you can push it. I'm very surprised at a 50 percent mm. ratio of cheese, but yeah, yeah. I want to try that too. I'm definitely going to give that a crack. Yum. Beautiful. <laughs> it's been lovely talking cheese with you, Scotty Bagnall. Oh, I do love cheese. <laughs> Let's even, have a fun do party. Even though oh. I'm lactose intolerant. I oh, I know. <laughs> I might be a little sensitive myself, but, you know. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening, um, dear listener. And if you have a little cheese-related story, if you know a cheese maker, if you know a cheese that we should taste, please let us know. Be in touch. Contact mm. us via Instagram or via our email address. We'd love to hear from you. And please go on to our YouTube channel, subscribe, comment, like our episodes, give us some feedback. You can catch us on all of your favourite podcast channels. Until next week, you've been listening to Cream Eggs and Jam. Bye. (laughs) See ya. You've been listening to Cream Eggs and Jam. I'm Elise Pulbrook and you can find me on Instagram at Elise underscore food person. And I'm Scott Bagnall and you can find me on Instagram at SS Bagnall. If you'd like to send us your show and tell, you can email us scottyandelise at gmail.com. Or if you'd like the visual experience of this podcast, you can find us on YouTube at Cream Eggs and Jam. Have a great day. Happy baking.